So it's the Friday show. It's Neil Atkinson, Paul Dehaney, Mo Stewart, and it's one of the oddest ones we've done in that we're we're going to exist in the realm of the games that are currently going ahead are going to go ahead, Mo. But we've got to start off on the idea that all of a sudden so many things are just, for want of a better phrase, up for grabs. Mm. Um, the the half-past 12 game that was planned between Manchester United and Brighton Hove Albion, that's been postponed. Three o'clock on Saturday, Southampton-Brentford, Watford, Crystal Palace, West Ham United, Norwich City, they've been postponed. So that leaves us with one three o'clock, which is Aston Villa versus Burnley. Then we've got Leeds United versus Arsenal, and we'll have Jordan Jarrett Bryan to talk about Arsenal in the context of that. Then Everton versus Leicester City has been postponed because of Leicester's issues. Uh, Newcastle, Manchester City, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Chelsea, and Tottenham versus Liverpool, and we'll we'll chat a little bit to Paul about that. But he's, he's chatted about it too, is on Team Talk as well, so you can listen to that there. But my, my point here is, one of the reasons why this is difficult is it ultimately only needs to affect one side and then a game gets called off. Mm-hmm. And the reason why that's difficult is because there's obviously knock-on effects with that about when you play a team and when the game will be sort of rearranged for and, and what that circumstance is. Whether the sort of weather that going back historically gets games called off is almost like a nationwide storm. Burnley recently is a recent exception, to be fair. But I think that that one of the things that is curious and has been curious about this is that, for instance, Burnley versus Watford in the week had just gone Mm. is called off because Watford have an issue, not because Burnley do. And I think that that's where there's going to have to be trust between the Premier League clubs. And I think this meeting on Monday is really important because... I think trust in the Premier League is a really difficult commodity to come mm, by. It is. And even within the realms of everyone saying the right things and wanting to do the right things, it's still very much a little bit of a, well, you first kind of scenario. I mean, you only need to listen to the press conferences and you see some managers will say, we've got players out. Some managers will say, we've got X amount of players out. Some managers will say, we've got this player and this player and this player out. And that's the key, isn't it? Because... It's all well and good saying we're happy to postpone a game if you've got problems, but if one of those problems just happens to be your best player, then it becomes difficult, which is why the Premier League needs to step in and set the parameters. This is what should have happened. I mean, the fact that they didn't have this as part of the remit for Project Restart at all is wild to me. They should have known okay, we got through this point to this point. In case it comes back, this is what we do. Like, this isn't a a news flash (laughs) that we were all back in the situation here. I think most people predicted it. So why didn't they have something in place? I can understand why they wanted to have certain variables, the Premier League, but they could also have made the variables public. So I'll give an example, which is that you could only have three players in your whole squad who have covid but if all three of them are all the three first-team goalkeepers, then obviously you've got an issue. And that's fair enough, Paul. But then you could literally have announced that and stated that in the public domain and said, so, you know, this is this is the, these are our variables, if you know what I mean. And this is where the matrix come in. This is where the information come in. I felt sorry for Leicester, where their point of view was, because of COVID, we're having to risk players we would not have risked for, to injury, and then they've got mm-hmm. injured. Uh, off the back of the fact that they're overplayed, we would not have played them. So is there is there a mechanism that can be 
put in there in, in, in public consumption. I think that the it's the public consumption part I think that matters, not because we're all really nosy, though that is true. It's more the idea, therefore, that sunlight is always the best disinfectant. And where the Premier League's concerned, if you're not careful, everybody can always feel like everything is infected. I think that the way the Premier League are handling this whole thing is not too dissimilar to the way the government are. It's very wishy-washy, isn't it? Yeah. It's very contradictory. It's very... You know, like, oh, we're dealing with it by, on a case-by-case -case basis. I mean, but on the other side, you look at Leicester and, you know, they did talk about injuries within COVID. And I know you've just said that those injuries could have been caused by the fact that they had to play players. But they might not have as well. So yeah. you could also turn around and say, well, you know, we have actually all got really good squads. We could all actually fill the team based on, I mean, if we, you, even if you had 13 players out, yeah. right? Like, you've still got a hell of a lot of players. And I'm talking about my own club here. But I think it's one of them that if you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, if you shut it all down, then everyone's going to be complaining about the fixture pile up. And if you don't, then people are going to be complaining about infection. So what what is the solution? Well, the way I see it, I think if they don't, if they try to muddle through the whole time, you're going to get in a situation where there are going to be a lopsided fixture congestion, which is going to be even worse yeah, than if everyone has to deal with it. I think there is technically at the moment a gap towards the end of January, beginning of February, isn't there? I but believe. that's so that. But there'll be uh, remaining South American qualifiers and Afcon is ongoing. Right. Okay. In that so gap. so, so that that gap has been allowed for, and for some players it would be a winter break. But if 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 uh, the South American Federation insists on those internationals going ahead and Afcon goes ahead, mm. then you can't fill those those gaps with games right. as it stands as okay. it stands so obviously as that means that there would need to be a lot more negotiations and when you consider how it's been the negotiations between the European Clubs Association and AFCON so far, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that they don't, they have slightly less respect for AFCON than they do for the Commonwealth, but as, as it stands, those kind of negotiations will take a while, so we don't have that kind of time. But on top of that, they're arranging, you know, Nation League, yep. Nations League games in June and September, and then we have a World Cup. So, you know, the knock-on effect like, of this could be, the, the, could the, be this, unbelievable. This, this fixture battle that's been going on between the, all of the world's football federations has been going on for four years. It's going to have to eventually come to a head. I feel like we're getting there, but then every time I think that, some new crazy idea comes in. Well, and COVID might be the thing that causes everyone to just say, okay, we need to reset here. But no one will ever give any ground. What I think is interesting, Mo, is that every this weekend, let's just say hypothetically Liverpool, I'll use Liverpool as an example because they're a good one because they're playing Tottenham. Liverpool end up with an outbreak and Liverpool postpone the fixture against Tottenham. Arsenal's fixture against Leeds United goes ahead, and Arsenal win the game against Leeds United. That will put a situation where Arsenal were in fourth place for certain, and they were seven points clear to Tottenham, but Tottenham would have four games in hand. But the problem with that is four games in hand feels as though, well, that's four opportunities to get three points. But when those games are then crammed in mm. to a later schedule, it's actually harder yeah. to get the three points because yes. Tottenham all of a sudden now are absolutely striking uphill in a way that, you know, they, they will be the ones who are dealing with game, 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 game. A bit and, like Villa had it last season, yeah. didn't they? And everyone was going, oh, Villa are in a good position, but they've got three games in hand. I don't think right. they won those games in hand because it was just, it was just impossible. 
And that I think, and you know, because each of those Arsenal games, sorry, Tottenham games and Ham will be against, let's say the Liverpool game gets called up, but Liverpool have only got one rearranged fixture. Mm-hmm. So Liverpool can plan around that and that's all right. Burnley have only got one rearranged fixture by that point, although that, that, that wouldn't be the case, but you take me hypothetical example here. X, Brighton and Hove Albion, Leicester have only got one rearranged yeah. fixture by that point. And Tottenham are suddenly having to slog through games in spring that no one else has to. And I mean, let's not forget, what normally happens in spring there's another wave of injuries yeah. so what's to say that maybe the, these rearranged games Harry Kane Hugo Reese are all injured and then it becomes a very different scenario because like you say having those games in hand gives you the perception of being able to do one thing but again this is part of the issue is that the actual physical doing of it is a lot more difficult and again without wanting to break over old ground I think there needs to be eventually an act where everybody can say, okay, come on now, this needs to happen. And these things only happen when something bad happens, yeah. unfortunately. So, I mean, there is a pattern because we played Norwich, right? We, we had an outbreak after that and then Norwich uh, had uh, an outbreak. Oh, no, sorry. Who did we play after Norwich? No one. Norwich was oh, the sorry. last game. But there was, I think there was Norwich. It was almost like every team we played and had come into contact, they got it and then they passed it on to another well, the, So the Brighton have now got a COVID outbreak. Yeah. The game against Tottenham was called off. Yeah. Leicester had a COVID outbreak. The game against Tottenham was called off. That's, mm. this is, but this is part of how, while the, so I can understand in a sort of, in a, a in an idealised world, how the Premier League think we'll just keep motoring along here. But my point here, and Tottenham are a really good example of it, is Tottenham can have their outbreak, but then if other teams go on to have their outbreak after Tottenham have had their outbreak, then Tottenham get into the situation that they've got into. Now, if Liverpool get their outbreak now, and I, and, you know, I don't actually think Liverpool will for a couple of reasons. Liverpool will be determined, I think, to play the game on Sunday. So I think the game on Sunday will go ahead, but let's just say hypothetically it doesn't. You end up in a situation where actually Tottenham's outbreak is now three... Three disallowed, sorry, not disallowed, three postponed games mm. ago, and everyone's just still hanging on for dear life. But Tottenham can't play any games of footy because everyone else yeah. is coming in then. And and the fact that this has happened at this stage of the season, where there are so many games on top of each other, means that it is likely to spread quicker. Because as you say, if a team's got an outbreak, then you look back to the team that they've just played, and maybe they've got an outbreak, and then the team they're about to play. And this is how. Like I say, at this time of the year, it's absolutely the worst thing to do. But that also kind of makes you think that the solution, which would have been to just give everyone a week, is a lot harder because there's two games to do with rather than one. And also maybe, just maybe, that solution was actually a viable solution nine days ago. It actually becomes less viable the longer you go mm-hmm. because then you end up with even more games that you've got that then got to fit back into the schedule. So the longer this goes, the, the idea that having a meeting on Monday... The meeting they have on Monday, the next league fixture they can cancel is the Boxing Day fixture. Mm. And then loads of teams play the 28th. So if you cancel the Boxing Day fixture, you've surely got to cancel the fixture on the 28th slash 29th. At which point then we've got two games to try to rearrange. And then we can be having a conversation about that. The Tottenham have got to find a place for five games. Burnley have got to find a place for four games. Watford, Brighton, Brentford, Leicester have got to find a place for three games minimum. And you just sort of keep keep looping. And anyone who's got cancelled this week and they've got an additional game to find a place for as well. I'm sure that TV definitely has a lot, or should I say TV, TV money has some sort of, um, di- well, yeah, you know, d- you know, dictation on what they pay happening. for December. Yeah, December's a big I deal. I mean, you look at companies. you look at Amazon and BT when they take these whole set of fixtures. Yep. 
You know, they, they don't just do that for football. They do that to promote their product and, you know, to get yeah. more subscriptions, etc., yeah. etc. Et so, you know, that night, the other night, when all those games got cancelled, would have been, you know, they would have had their their people want to... Uh, you know, on Premier to, League oh, immediately, yeah. yeah. Premier League saying, you know, this is not good <coughs> enough. You're going to have to give us a, another night with at least five games so we can profile that again. But even then, that might not make up for the money that they might have might have made and it's the same same will go for BT well exactly and I mean there's no guarantee that they can control when those fixes get re-shown so they will probably still have the rights to show them but what if it happens to be at the same time as something else that they're already well, paid for on a Thursday show? night you know, the, on I Monday mean, night but they've done some points for instance the Amazon Prime literally the Amazon Prime money is about promoting Amazon Prime around Christmas it's not about the Premier League no. Sky's about the Premier League Yeah, the Amazon Prime money is about that and you can say we've lost that money but they will be on to the Premier League to say we put that money back yeah. Thank you very much, because that's why we spend that money. Yep. And then you're back into a conversation around rebates and all of that. We'll settle into talking about the football in a second. We'll have Jordan Jarrett Bryan coming on to talk about uh, Arsenal before their game against Leeds United, which, and this is how I'm going to phrase a lot of this, I think will go ahead. Um, Aston Villa versus Burnley is becomes the first game of the weekend, 3pm kickoff. Villa have uh, they got the result midweek. Mo they position themselves relatively nicely after that Liverpool um, outcome, where yes. I think they'll have been quite glad that it was only a one nil defeat. I think they'll have taken mm-hmm. that. It's a good week if they beat Norwich and they beat Burnley. And again, in this climate, and that is a it's a valid thing to say. You know, at that sort of point, that if they win that game, they'll leap up and be level on points with Tottenham before Tottenham kick off against Liverpool. And yes, there will be huge disparities in the number of games played. But my point is much more that for Villa, the points will be on the board. And four weeks ago, the points were not on the board. No, they weren't. And I think when you're a new manager coming into a situation, you need a good few results early to be able to give everyone the confidence in your methods. I mean, I think he went into that dressing room with a decent amount of authority and gravitas anyway. But it does definitely help. And even now, where they're, what, five, six games in, they can point to it and say, OK, the two defeats we've had to Man City and Liverpool, they're not an odd league. <clears throat> yeah, they're, mean, not, they're not our business. No, and, and so therefore, every other team who we are competing with, we have defeated so far. So that's going to be the message he's going to give. Keep doing what you're doing. And they're in a position where they can pick up a little bit of momentum. They don't have to solve all of the problems that they have had Losing Marvellous Nakamba is an issue, though, because it means that now they've got to find another body for the midfield yeah. three. You might move Jacob Ramsey back, but then that means you've got to find another forward. That might be a slight issue for them. But again, going into a game with Burnley, there's probably one thing on Stevie's to-do list, and that's defend set pieces, because that is how Burnley will be attacking you. Yeah. Burnley have won one game so far this season, Paul, they obviously, it can seem like a daft thing to say, they obviously need to change that pretty soon. The, the thing to point out is they've only lost one of the last four or five. Sorry, Sorry they've only lost, lost one of the last five or six, actually, Burnley. Uh, eight draws so far this season from the 15 games that they've played. For me, this is a season that's teetering on the brink. If Burnley can start turning some potential draws into occasional wins, they can actually, I think, most up the table quite quickly. At the minute, Leeds... Watford to an extent Southampton maybe even Everton are getting let off a hook by the fact that a side like Burnley isn't fight turning those draws into wins this one against Villa it'll be a tight game they've got to keep find, well start finding the way to turn one point into three 
Long term, I, I kind of never have any worries about Burnley. I mean, I'm, it's going to come back to bite me because I used to do this with Stoke every season and say, oh, Stoke will be all right, Stoke will be all right. They always will be. Um, but I do actually think that they just always have enough in their locker. And I, I, and I look at the other sides in the league and there's at least four or five sides that are worse than Burnley, in my mm. opinion. And come to the turn of the year, they'll put together a, a winning run of like six games, uh, in you know, six wins out of seven and a, and a draw. And and then they'll tail off at the end of the season when they're already safe. And that's Bur Burnley's mo modest operandi, really. <laughs> so I don't really worry about them. Stevie G, I said to Rio the first time I see Stevie G do an interview after the Rangers game as a manager. I said he's the most managerous manager I've ever seen <laughs> in my whole life. It's almost like he was made to be a manager, yeah. the way he talks, the way he acts, the way he conducts himself. So doesn't surprise me at all um, the start that he's had. I think the, the players respect him that much that you can see they're going to run through brick walls for him. So, it, it, you know, even against Liverpool, you know, they had to play tactically different than what they normally play. It was a lot more restricted. But that was mainly because Stevie didn't want to get beat 5 or 6 nil because that's what would have happened if Villa played the normal way. So I put that actually down to good tactics. You know, he hasn't got the calibre of player that he would like to have to have probably got a draw or a win. But, um, you know, to only get beat 1-0, and that sounds stupid, but to only sound uh, to get beat 1-0 by Liverpool is a good achievement in my eyes. So he hasn't had a... Um, you know, there's still the honeymoon period, so let's not go overboard. But I like what I've seen so far from him. I like the fact that Villa's famed academy is starting to, you know, see some fruits of the labour, you know, because they have always had a good academy, Villa, but the players have not really, they've either got sold before or they've, they've, they've not made it through. So um, I think the the future looks um, pretty bright for Villa and for Burnley. As I said, I think they'll be safe, but not this weekend. I, I'm going for a narrow Villa win on that one. Okay. Uh, Leeds United up against Arsenal uh, at the weekend. I spoke to Jordan Jarrett Bryant yesterday about Arsenal. Uh, whilst all things were falling apart in front of our very eyes around fixtures, here he is. Always a pleasure to speak to Jordan Jarrett Bryant. And Jordan has for three years emphatically told me longer in a sense but three years is where I think it's interesting how dreadful uh, in different ways at different times Arsenal are and I've got, so, so I've got a question for Jordan as Arsenal sit in fourth and my question is this has everybody else just dropped to the level of dreadfulness of Arsenal with the exception of the big three <laughs> or have Arsenal found a staging post along the way where they're actually possibly quite good well, it's a really interesting question because I've been barking for a while now this season that this is arguably the best season in terms of quality that I can think of in a while. Bar, if you look at the whole league, bar Norwich and Newcastle, I wouldn't even put Watford in that, but Norwich and Newcastle, there are no obvious relegation candidates for me. You, you know, Watford, I think, possibly could go down, Burnley, Southampton could get drawn into it, but the quality from 1 to 20, I think, has overall gone up. Um, but at the same time, whilst I think Arsenal have improved, I'm still not sure they're the fourth best team in the country. And I must say that at the point of recording, we're fourth. We're not really fourth because Spurs have got three games in hand. United, I think, have got two games in hand. So it's a fourth 
kind of uh, with, with with those caveats. So I think Arsenal have definitely gone up a level in terms of they're better than they were two years ago. We've got a back five that I think is comfortably uh, good enough to finish in the top six. <clears throat> We've got an exciting front row of, of attackers that I think could push for top five. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't think the quality has gone down. I think Arsenal have got better. Um, <clears throat> I think we have the fifth, sixth, fifth or sixth best squad in the league. I think we have the eighth, ninth best manager in the league. And I think for us to finish fourth in the end, which I don't think we will, we would have to significantly overachieve in the way that Spurs, when they finished second, I think overachieved a few years back. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I, don't, I think the quality of the league has overall gone up. I think Arsenal are a better team than they were 18 months, two years ago. But I, I, I think us being in fourth is slightly warped by the fact that Spurs have got games to play. And yeah, they've got to win them. But they've got a manager that I trust that they can maybe overtake well, us with those three games in hand. The one thing I would say is get games in hand in a fight for fourth when it could well come to somewhere between 65 and 72 points. <laughs> they're sides that aren't winning every game. That's no, the first thing no, I'd say. No. I think the other yeah. thing that I think is noticeable about Arsenal this season is just a breakdown of the results with reference to both the league table and home and away. So yes. 5-0 and 4-0 at Manchester City and Liverpool, respectively, beaten 2-0 at home early in the season uh, by Chelsea. But then if you look then since then, home victories against West Ham, against Tottenham, against Aston Villa, against Southampton, against Watford, against Newcastle and Norwich, and a draw at home against Crystal Palace. Now, admittedly, the away record isn't as strong, a defeat at Old Trafford and a defeat at Everton, uh, which currently looks expensive, the defeat at Brentford, uh, which looks understandable now in context, both of COVID and also the way Brentford had been and they added it was their first game of the season. Uh, but getting wins at Leicester uh, and a win at Burnley. My point here is, though, when you talk about a fight for fourth, Jordan, it's a home record that can mm -hmm. power you through that mm -hmm. fight for fourth. And mm -hmm. Arsenal look like they've got the possibility of having a genuine home record that could be the envy of all of their friends. Well, I think we've got the, we've got the if, I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, we have the second best home record in the league behind City, but we've also got the second worst away record behind, I think, Watford. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but I take your point. We're not going for the title. So when you're going for the title, you have to be pretty much perfect at home and near perfect away. We're going for top four, whereby you have to be probably near perfect at home and you can lose to City away, Liverpool away, maybe United and Chelsea away and still have enough to finish in fourth, fourth yeah. spot. So I, I think that the, the away record is concerning. Obviously, in the stats, that it's very concerning. But you're right. We might not necessarily have to win every single game to get to get fourth spot we're competing with man united spurs and and west ham i think united are the favorites with the squad they've got and the manager that they've oh, yeah. now got who i think will galvanize them to do better i don't think we will finish fourth but i i think yeah if we can fix our next game is away at leeds we've got two away games kind of up like leeds and norwich i expect six points i really yeah. do that might be arrogant but i do no 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 I, I think if we're think, thinking of finishing between fourth and six, you've got to go and get six points. You've got to, a bare minimum four, but you've got to get six points for me. So I, I think if we can continue our home record, that will keep us in the conversation for top six. And then you're looking at having a better away record than Spurs, West Ham and United to make the difference between fifth and even fourth.
think the, the, the strange thing, and again, this is, you know, Liverpool at the minute, we're recording this before we play Newcastle, but you'd expect Liverpool to beat Newcastle. I think that gives Liverpool six consecutive league wins if we do that. The the thing I would point out, and obviously these games need to be played, these games of football, but Arsenal find themselves, they've got the really good result they got against West Ham last night and, and, and there's slightly contentious circumstances in a couple of ways, but ultimately I think it's an out-of-control challenge um, and once you're out-of-control you, you, you're in the lap of the gods with what the referee's going to do next, especially that referee. You you find yourself in a situation though where Arsenal have got, when you say they're leads away, Norwich away, and then what will prove to be a tough game against Wolves, but Wolves at home. It's very easy that we could be having a conversation after those three games, talking about Arsenal having four consecutive Premier League wins. And when you do that, when you're going for fourth, part of why Tottenham are still in the running for this is the start of the season they had under Nuno, where they just kept winning every game 1-0. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much to create no. a points buffer. And that's something where I think Arteta's got got himself to, where the, there's the opportunity to have a real points buffer that goes at a pace that, you know, United were fortunate to beat Norwich, if we're all honest yes. about it. Yes. You know, they, they, yes. The, the, Arsenal can do this is what I'm saying that I, I take your Man United points and I, I agree with it on balance but Arsenal can actually do this they can get to 65 points I totally agree and I think your point about a buffer is also important as well and it's really why I mean Arsenal fans on blogs and channels that I've been on in the last week or so are still moaning at me moaning about the Everton loss that Everton loss you mentioned the word expensive I totally agree that defeat was so unacceptable you win that game and then you then beat Southampton and then beat West Ham then you really are fourth um but it's those defeats that kind of that, that worry me and the reason I mean obviously it's COVID so we caveat that teams aren't playing games i.e Tottenham because of a of a virus that, that is very very serious but for me, with this inverted commas kind run of fixtures, you have to put the, the points on the board to be able to put pressure on Tottenham to say, okay, now you've got to go and win those four games in hand. To United, now you've got to go and win those two games in hand. And if we can get that buffer and those points on the board with relatively kind fixtures and in good health, and, and the part I've just done, I mentioned, no one's mentioned the fact that we've got everybody fit. One of Arsenal's biggest frustrations, one of my biggest frustrations about Arsenal in the last 10, 15 years is our medical department is shocking. We've got everybody, I think, bar Bert Leno, everybody is, is fit. Um, so while everybody's fit, while everybody's on form and your rivals are either not playing games or scraping through results, you mentioned the Man United Norwich one there, we have to put the points on the board to ensure that we give ourselves the best chance of getting fourth. But at, the, at worst case, put pressure on United. Put pressure on Spurs to say, go on then, you've now got to go and win your four games in hand sort of thing. So the point, these two games coming up are really, really important, not only for us, but to send out a message to our rivals that actually we are serious. The Aubameyang thing lingers a little bit. Mm -hmm. Is the manager being opportunistic, do you think? Uh, Yes, but I think he should. I think yeah. he should be. I, I, I'm, I'm totally behind him on this one. I accept that Aubameyang has gone, has gone to, to France to see his mother, who's not well. I think any employee, any employer that doesn't let their employee go and see their sick mum is a bad employer. So I think it's right, the humane thing to do, to allow him to go and do that. However, there were parameters and there was an agreement in place that he'd be back at a certain time. He's still our employee and you're still a professional. So you didn't get back in time, you have to be punished. If it was a one-off, I would still say discussion of him being stripped of captaincy should be discussed. 
the fact that it's not even a one-off, it's not a debate for me. I don't think he should have been captain in the first place, Neil. I don't think he was captain material. I think some players are just very, very good players. They're not very good leaders. And I think in, if you look through history, more times the best players generally aren't the best captains anyway. So for me, it was a bit of a ploy to come with the contract and to keep him happy. So I'm happy about how Mikel Arteta has dealt with the situation. Some people say, did he have to go public? If he doesn't go public, A, it leaks out anyway. But secondly, the Arsenal fan base then say, well, why are you keeping us posted? Why, why don't you talk to the fans and tell us what's going on? So I don't think Nicolas Teta can win in this way. I think he has won for me in how he's dealt with this, how he's gone about it. The problem now is that he's not, we don't really have any obvious captains at Arsenal. So where does it go next? And he's got this now leadership group thing, which I think is a lot of nonsense. I think it's just passing the buck and it's just sharing responsibility when ultimately you need a dare I say, Jordan Henderson, that is the figurehead that in the dressing room, no, 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 I am the mouthpiece of the manager. You've got Virgil van Dijk, you've got other leaders there as well, but he is the guy that everybody has to fall in line behind. We haven't really got an obvious one, so I'm not liking this group thing that they've, they've kind of conjured up, but I'd rather that than Aubameyang be the captain, if I'm being honest. That, that's how bad a captain I think he's been. So no, I'm totally comfortable with how he's, uh, Arteta has dealt with this, and maybe it's a bit opportunistic, to send out a message that I'm not really feeling you and this is my chance to show it. Maybe, maybe, but um, I'm, I'm not actually angry about that if indeed that is the case. Um, so Leeds then, just very quickly, it's mm. about as close as there can be to a must-win away game. Uh, Leeds are vulnerable as anything at the minute. Uh, mm. The game on Saturday, it is one where, you know, it, not dissimilar to to Everton come the end of the season you know if, you, if you're not going to Goodison Park and getting a result and if you're not going to or you're not going to Leeds and getting a result you probably could do with doing both but if you're not doing at least one of those two it will be very very expensive indeed this is a game where Arsenal should just simply be the better side Totally agree and I, I'm not also buying this Leeds are the wounded animal after a 7-0 win beware of Leeds I don't, that's, I don't but yes they will probably be wounded go and get the three points if you are serious Moon about them more. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. This is the time to really, as you say, give them some more wounds because, again, as you mentioned, these are the games where if you're serious about finishing between fourth and sixth, you have to go there and win. If we don't win, I'll be fuming. I think we will win and I think we should win. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm excited about the game. But, again, if uh, the fan base, me included, are still, we're still hurting about the Everton loss. That defeat really hurt me. And I think that the worst thing Arteta can do off the back of a good win last night against West Ham is almost undo it with dropping points against Leeds. Great stuff as ever from Jordan. Uh, always a pleasure. Leeds Arsenal. Mo, Jordan's done Arsenal for us. Leeds just need to start winning games at 40. And if they don't, the worry is that can all turn very toxic and winning games at 40 can become mm. really hard fast for them. It is already really hard. And I think, I don't know, maybe I feel a little bit foolish in myself because I definitely thought that they would avoid the thing that Sheffield United fell down to but it looks like they're in it and the biggest uh, thing they have in common is the injuries and because Sheffield United had two two of their main centre halves of the three injured long term and Leeds if you look at it at the moment they've got basically four decent attacking threats if you think about Rafinha Rodrigo Banford and Dan James three of them are out and then you look at the other end of the pitch they've not got uh, Liam Cooper they've not got Pascal Strike they've not got Robin Cock they've not got Calvin Phillips so they're not able to score goals their ability to not concede goals is dramatically lessened if you look at their 
the goal difference. They're scoring a goal every game and they're conceding two goals every game. So they're losing every game 2-1. That's not a recipe for success in the Premier League. The question is, how do you replace those key players? They're going to have to maybe do something in January. I don't know whether or not Leeds as an ownership are retiring to that. The one thing in their favour is that everybody surrounded by Leeds United is bought into Marcelo Bielsa and that system. So where some other fan bases or ownerships might start getting twitchy, these guys will stay the course. Whether or not that helps, we'll have to wait and see. It's the course is, is the big thing, I think. I think, you know, you can envisage a world where Leeds suddenly, Ellen Rose, Saturday before Christmas, it is... You know, it's five thirty. Everyone's up, Paul. Everyone goes right. Let's stick it to these and really, really knock the, knock the confidence. Arsenal have a bad performance at Goodison Park, where it is an intimidating atmosphere uh, for that game against uh, Benitez's men a couple of weeks back. So there's there's a bit of movement there, but they just the way they play leads. There's no safety net, and no safety net's all right if, if broadly speaking everyone's fit. But when you are down seven or eight of lads who would start the game suddenly no safety net is lots and lots of footballers who just cannot win their personal battles and if you play in that shape and you can't win your personal battles you're in real trouble yeah definitely I mean I mentioned on the last show I think Luke Kalin's come back now which will help them but Calvin Phillips is the big one because he he's almost like the Declan Rice for West Ham I know they both played together for England but he's that one player that of real real top quality that they can call upon I mean he played at centre back against Spurs uh, a few weeks ago it was absolutely outstanding marked Harry Kane out, out the game um, revelled in it as well I thought. yeah absolutely um so that's a big that's a big big miss more than any of them. But you know the, the points that you alluded to, Mo, about the forwards and the and the defenders not available. I don't think Leeds are going to go out and they just don't strike me as the sort of team that are going to go out and buy a lot of players. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the sort of time frames on these players coming back. I think I heard Calvin Phillips might be January or February. You know, which is mm-hmm. which is too long really. They could be cut adrift by then. Um, the one thing they have got in their favour is that passion of the fans. I mean, they, they're crazy. I mean, you guys have seen it firsthand. Um, and the one game that Arsenal probably wouldn't have wanted this because of Arsenal's... Um, how, how can I put it without saying like a bitter and twisted fan? <laughs> their, capacity to, yeah. their capacity to sort of, um, you know, buckle under under like crowds intimidating crowds basically it happened last season at Ellen yeah, Road yeah, like yeah, Pepe yeah. got sent off and they drew nil nil yeah it was one of those games where it looked like Arsenal had it in control then Leeds turned it into a fight and Arsenal got distracted so I mean the interesting thing for me is Arteta has I mean obviously Liverpool being the obvious example but he hasn't looked like he's shying away from a fight at all this season. He's looked up for it. He's looked willing to be able to inject that into his players. He's he's like a jumping bean on the on the sidelines these days. And you wonder whether he's gonna say, Okay, well we got bullied here last season. We're not gonna let that happen. So whether he'll go into it trying to fight fire with fire and whether that's the best plan. I think it's an interesting one with Arsenal because I've seen I said on the last show, I've seen improvements. Um but you were saying, Neil, about you can't quite trust them yet because you always know that there's a performance in them and you only have to look at you know we we obviously being a Tottenham fan we revel at watching AFC TV every time that it goes <laughs> wrong but you never have to you, you get two results and if they have two wins this is it top four it's all great 
two defeats and then right back to square one or one defeat even. Yep. So you've got this paradox within the club really and even the fan base where they can't kind of work out what's going on. And I kind of thought, you know, you're seeing now Ben White, Gabriel, um, I like Tommy Asu. I thought we should have bought him instead of Emerson uh, in the summer, um, but that's another matter. And obviously Kieran Tini when he's fit. That's quite a, a, a settled back four. Um, I like, obviously, Saka, I think, is a wonderful player. Smith Rowe's a wonderful player. I think the one concern I have about, and Aldergaard's done well, the one concern I have, I'm not really sold on party yet. I don't know if he's going to be a Vieira or a Wanyama. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> he, he's, he's kind of like, he's got all the attributes, but he, he, the fans aren't having him either mm. at the moment. And, and the, funny enough, the two biggest uh, buyers are probably him and Pepe. Where the hell's Pepe? I couldn't believe it. You know, the, you're getting kids coming in front of him. It, surely that's the end of the road for him. I feel like Arteta has made that decision already. And we are just only going to hear about it the next time there's a Aubameyang too? Oh, yeah. I, I, mean, I think, I think the... he's taking the chance. He, I think he's delighted about Aubameyang. <laughs> he's delighted. <laughs> Get him out 1st of January, you'll be thinking. Yeah. Get him off the wage bill. And the only reason he's probably not gone quite so heavy on it is because he probably still has a lot of friends within the dressing room. I think he's known for a while that Aubameyang and maybe Lacazette as well have not got what he needs to lead a team. So he's going to have to get rid of them. But because they are so tied into the team, he hasn't. He's got to kind of do it gradually. Mm. And so he couldn't just cut them all off because that was always going to be hanging over. He has to kind of give them enough rope to hang themselves. Aubameyang's done it perfectly. Lacazette's a different situation. He's kind of buckled down and he looks like he's going to... He, he looks like he still has a bit of pride in playing for Arsenal and I think that will carry him through to the end of the season. But they are going to need to buy two strikers because Balogun hasn't come through at the level that they were hoping for. Eddie Nketiah hasn't. Martinelli has... But he's still not playing in that forward role. He's mm. still having to come in from wide. They so need a proper goal scorer. They will need another one. Mm. Okay, uh, move forward to the Sunday games. Uh, currently, as they stand, the Sunday games are Newcastle, Manchester City, Wolverhampton, Wanderers, Chelsea and Tottenham versus Liverpool. Interesting, all three of the current top three currently still uh, expected to go ahead. All three playing away from home. First and foremost, um, Paul, City, Guardiola with indeterminate status currently around COVID. Uh, but... They will, I think, be absolutely desperate to play this game against Newcastle. They will not want it to disappear in any way, shape or form. At the minute, Newcastle are very, very, very bottom of the league. Uh, just came to Anfield. City will want to get this one out the way, I think. Uh, crack on and they'll be backing themselves just to continue, if not the goal-scoring form, the, the general form that they've been showing. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't expect them to slip up. I mean, this is the Premier League and we always say anything can happen. But in this case... I'm not so sure. Um, not the game you want when you want to be winning points and you're stuck at the bottom of the league. Um, I can't really see any positives from, from them. I mean, to be honest, last night they gave it a go. They, they seemed a little they bit gave more... They a go. They, they're a little bit more organised than, than what they'd been in under previous regimes. But, you know, too little too late in my opinion. I mean, I see what you mean when you say they gave it a go, but... If I was a Newcastle fan, I'd have been frustrated last night because, let's face it, their attacking threats are Karen Wilson and yeah. Alan Maximum. But 
they have to be on the pitch at the same time to get the best out of them. Because when Alan Samatsman runs, he needs the Callum Wilson's kind of striker to make runs, draw defenders away, or even give him an out ball. If he's not on the pitch, we can just herd him into the sideline. How many times do you see St. Maximum ran through and normally you'll have someone to aim for him? It's almost like runs right, oh, there's no one there. Runs left, oh, there's no one there. Oh, uh, I've Arte lost the ball. Like, can I take? Yeah, I'll have that. And so if you're a Newcastle fan, you're thinking, okay, if we're not playing them together, then we're clearly not going out there trying to score for the whole game. We're trying to hold the game to a small period and then try and score. As it turns out, he got injured and he's probably not going to be playing against City, which kind of kills their, their optimism anyway. I agree with you, Neil. City are going to be absolutely desperate to get this played because they remember when Newcastle have had their tails up. They've lost up at St. James's Park a couple of times under Guardiola. So they'll want to get this out of the way when they're at their weakest. And also, who's to say that if this never got ca- this got cancelled, you know, Newcastle went out and spent... I mean, 30 it could million. be a very different team. And, and then play, playing them later <laughs> yeah. on in the season. A different game. And this is all the permutations that, and you know, we had it ourselves when I was talking about the other day when, uh, in fact, Leicester the other day had no centre-backs, you know, literally everyone's either injured or COVID or whatever. Um, I'm sure that's not going to be the case by the time the rearranged fixture comes back. But, you know, we're all going to, but we need to all be in that position. Yeah. And that's the issue that I've got. We're not going to be, are we? The one that I wouldn't like, so I think... More so in a sense than, than Liverpool going to Tottenham, which we will come on to, Mo, is Chelsea away at Wolves all of a sudden looks absolutely horrible. Yeah, it does. Wolves very nearly keep Liverpool out. Mm-hmm. Whilst they have 11 on the pitch, they do keep City out. And they don't just keep City out, but in that first half, they actually limit City's quality of chance quite markedly um, in there as well. There's, there's a thing here where... I think if you're Chelsea, this has now become a horrible, sticky game. Mm. And if you're Wolves, there is a part of Wolves where they've just got the lovely little win against Brighton. They have hard lines against Man City. They're ending up in a bit of a mentality here where this one against Chelsea, they can just have the attitude of, well, if you're going to play 5-4-1, mm. we'll just sit here and watch you play 5-4-1. And that's that's why I'd worry if I was Chelsea. This is a game where they have to make the run and they don't look good when they make the run. No, and I think the 1-0 win against Brighton was massive for many reasons because they've been on this run of goalless draws. And yes, obviously they got beat by City and they got beat by Liverpool, only one goal. But then now you've had your 1-0 win it now becomes a, okay, well, rather than this is a, oh, we can't score, this is terrible. This is a, we're playing really well defensively. Teams can't score against us. I mean, it has to be a, a last-minute winner or a penalty to score against us. So they're going to be coming into it from the back of defensive mindset. And we played the best teams. We played the very best teams. And Chelsea didn't beat Wolves last season. They got beat and then they drew nil-nil at home. So Wolves have already got good memories against Chelsea. They know how to play against them. I always think when you're playing a system that not everyone plays, if you always play it, then you've got an advantage. And Chelsea have had that advantage in lots of teams, but Wolves have been playing that system longer than they have. And Wolves are going to have the best striker on the pitch as well because Raul Jimenez is playing and Chelsea are going to be without plan A, B and C for for centre-forward. So there's a lot of ways that Wolves can take heart from it. Chelsea will still believe that they should go out and win. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do, but... Like you said, this is going to be a game they're absolutely going to hate. They're going to hate it, I think, Paul. They are going to hate it. It's going to wind them up. It's going to be slow. Wolves will make it unpleasant. There'll be a Wolves crowd that will absolutely buy in, certainly after the hard, what they will perceive as hard lines that they have at Manchester City. 
there will be we were we were we, we went away for the game against Liverpool feeling like we nearly got away with one but we still felt we were a bit like we were owed one against City we feel like we're owed one all right you're the next ones up we'll have you you'll do for mm. us yeah, and I'm really surprised at um, Wolves' organisation. You know, I, I, I didn't think uh, I don't, didn't know much about um, Bruno Large 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 giving it large <laughs> middle names giving it. Um, yeah, he, there's I didn't know much about him, but you know um, I've been watching him and they seem very organised and like hard to break down. And Cody's a good captain. Well, is he captain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a good captain um, and, and good leader for them. I, I fancy them to get a point in this, actually. I really do. It might be nil-nil, um, but I do fancy that they, they, they might nick a point just because of all the intricacies. I've, I've, Chelsea, you've got to worry about that. This All of a sudden, they're conceding goals. I've mentioned this again. I was saying I mentioned this on the show. I must be on the show all the time. Kante, it's just so underrated. I think if you put him in most teams, it almost improves them, mm. like immeasurably uh, and you're seeing that with Chelsea now that a team with all that millions of pounds spent Kante can still make a difference not I mean he might a... be playing next to Rex, next door to Ralph Sparky though in this game because Kovacic might not make it Jorginho probably won't make it Loftus-Cheek might not make it so Kante's good but then you've got Ross Barkley. Yeah, yeah. And also you've got the fact that Kante is always coming back from injury. And yes. that's always been the, the concern for him. I think it's a, it's a fascinating little fixture, that one, Chelsea, Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Chelsea. We'll end with Tottenham versus Liverpool. We talked about it with Paul at length for Team Talk, so do check that out uh, in there. The the position where Liverpool have now ended up, Mo, before this one, for me is, I think, both inevitable but also a little bit fascinating that all of a sudden, off the back of the midweek games and even the game before, uh, Liverpool and Manchester City suddenly feel like they're back in 2018-19 in a way that I think people would have, if you'd have said that in September, people might have pulled a bit of a face and said, oh, it won't quite go that way. And all of a sudden it looks like it probably, not necessarily, but it probably is going mm-hmm. that way. Well, I think if you'd have listened to Klopp and Guardiola back in September, they probably would have been saying it, but saying it in a way so as not to create headlines by saying they rule out Chelsea for the entire race. But you can still tell that they were, when Guardiola talks about his rivals, it's Liverpool, Chelsea, and then the rest. When Klopp talks about it, it's Man City, Chelsea, and the rest. They are prime targets for each other and always will be, I think, for the rest of the season. But it's interesting because we are both feeling like we are probably better than we were in that season for for various reasons, I think. But whether we are is another matter. Whether we are in terms of gap between sides that you're facing week in, week out is also... Yeah, yeah. And Spurs is a good barometer because in recent seasons, sorry, Paul, it's been a quite easy game for us. Uh, Well, no. Actually, that's probably not fair. It's been a game that we've had to win. I think away it. from home, it's been definitely a lot easier for you. At, at Anfield, we've probably given a better account for us, ourselves mm. in recent years and been a bit unlucky. But definitely at, at, at Tottenham, Liverpool been a dominant force for me in most for a long since that five. In fact, since the nil nil where Klopp. In fact, was the five 0 after that or before that? So the four one, the four one. You're thinking about with Lo- where Lovren gets subbed and Kane made. No, that one. you won. Oh, that's John that. Flanagan. Am I going back? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's that's twenty fourteen. Twenty fourteen. But even since then, even, yeah. that 
Uh, you've kind of had that. In, in fact, mm. the 4-1 was about the only one I can remember us winning in recent times. Yeah. But other yeah. than that, there's been draws, but Liverpool winning. It normally goes in, in cycles, as, as someone with a Spurs supporting father, I can confirm. Um, but mm. <laughs> it's just, this is one of the things, like we said, the last few times we've been to Spurs, we've had good memories. And that 4-1 game, I still think is one of the most pivotal games we've had under Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. There's so much change. There was this like, this indelible line in the sand, which the we've, love we've never gone, we've never been, we've had bad performances, we've had bad runs, we've never been that bad again, I don't think, touch wood. So I think there is that almost, those good vibes when you go into a place, I mean, it's a fantastic place to play football. And Firmino's back. Firmino loves playing against Tottenham. So yeah. I'm, I think Liverpool will be going into this with confidence that they can make it routine if they do their job. The one thing that I think matters from that point of view, though, Paul, is someone who's a very good psychological manager of footballers and football teams is Conte. And the thing that he'll understand is that effectively a draw isn't a ton of use to Liverpool. Certainly if City have won earlier in the day, and to me, this is where I think it does get very interesting in that if you are Conte, you're able to have a bit of an attitude of it's sort of all right if we're only one behind with 15 to go and we've got really good players because Tottenham have got really good players. It's great if it's nil nil or 1-1 with 15 to go because they'll have to make the run and when they make the run, space will be created and we can hit them. And for my Liverpool support and point of view, that's my concern. My concern is Liverpool, well, listen, I'll take Liverpool 1-0 up or 2-1 up or 3-2 up with 15 to go, don't get me wrong. Mm. But the idea that it's just level going into that last sort of stretch where Liverpool will feel as though they've got to find the chance, that's where Tottenham could be at the most dangerous. Yeah, I mean, will Van Dijk be back? Or? Probably not, no. If he's yeah. on COVID, he can't See, be. I mean, that... That will give um, people like Son and Kane a little bit more confidence and that I'm not billeting in any shape or form no. the defence that you had, but you're talking about one of the, or the best defender in the world, in my opinion. So obviously he's going to give you a little bit more confidence, but the flip side of that is what we touched on earlier, is that Spurs haven't played for, mm. for ages and the last time we played Liverpool, we haven't played for ages. Um, you know what happened. Um, so I can't say I'm overly confident. I'm just hoping that it's you know at best I can see a draw mm. um, but I just hope it's not, there's no sort of embarrassment you know well I think again because um, Conte has kind of acknowledged the fact that this is a very different game for Liverpool than it is for Spurs you get into that situation where you you, you get towards the end of the game and like you say it might be close but Liverpool have the advantage it depends upon how we're playing if we are playing like we've played against Newcastle, where we conceded the goal and there was no panic, it was just do the same thing again, do the same thing again, do the same thing again. And we're penning Tottenham in. That's the difference because when we're playing with confidence at the moment, we are able to stop them getting out. So if they can't even get out, then they're certainly not going to get to our goal. So if it's that kind of game, those are the games where I think now we have the calmness to say, we're not going to get panicky. We're just going to keep going, keep going, and we will score. Do you know, like, where Klopp's clever, though, is that he um, he can... You know, sometimes I think with Man City, they have one way of playing, and if it doesn't work, and it works most of the time. But every now and again, it doesn't, you know. And it's mostly in the Champions League where, you know, managers uh, are not 
going to sort of like just sit down and, and, and wait for Man City to kill them. They're mm. going to go at them as well, which causes them issues. We don't have, they don't have that as much in, in the Premier League unless they're playing sort of Liverpool or Chelsea. Um, so I think that um, last season what Klopp did was he saw that Mourinho was just going to sit back and just say, come on, break us down and then try and catch us on the break. So what he did is say, right, what we're going to do, we're just going to keep the ball. I'm just going to keep the ball. We're going to keep the ball. And then when an opening comes, we'll take it as opposed to playing with two Raiders in, in, in uh, Mane and Salah, which has done in the past. Firmino coming deep uh, or, you know, Hendo finding them left and right and then us getting overrun. Um, so I liked, you know, from a, from a tactical point of view, the fact that Klopp said, right, we, we'll just have the patience. We'll just wait mm -hmm. for our chance to come. What did it end up being, 1-0 or...? Yeah, it was 1-0. 1-0. Yeah. So, I mean, it should have been more, um, but it was enough. And I think that if Conte's got a plan, I think Klopp will have a plan too. Yeah, and, and, that's, and if that's we've got difference. some other uh, players back as well, that means he can be a bit more flexible. So, for example, the way that Naby Keita came on against Newcastle in the last 20 minutes and at a time when Newcastle were at their backs to the wall um, trying to put two or three banks of four if they could have done in front of Naby was the progressive player with the ball and with his passing and it was able to kind of create those spaces so having those extra options in those scenarios I think it's going to be a massive advantage I think the only freak thing that could happen to Liverpool is if Spurs scored early and the crowd got up they need to score too early but too early yeah <laughs> yeah 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 exactly um, yeah I I'm, I'm, you know me, I'm quite a positive person and, and I'll back Spurs all the way, but in this instance, uh, yeah, I can only see a defeat, I'm afraid. The thing I can't see just very quickly is I just don't know who plays right-hand side of the... Sorry, uh, left-hand side of the centre-half three that keeps Salah at bay. That's the... For me, that's the, the be-all and end-all. If it's Davies, Salah will love playing against him. If it's Rondon, Salah will love playing against him. If he does some jiggly-pokery and tries to use Sanchez over there, then I think Sanchez could make it a bit awkward at times because he's got to turn a pace. But, but he's going to have to deal with Mane, isn't he? Uh, but also, yeah. someone's then got to deal with Mane, but also Sanchez is has become strange the error-prone. So it's really difficult to imagine literally who plays in a way that stops Mo Salah from massively influencing the game. That's the thing. That's the, what I'm sort of basing that Liverpool win around is just who stops Mo Salah from playing football. That's such a funny observation because Mo and I, when you went to get the beers before, Mo and I were just talking <laughs> we about Davis and exactly Sanchez and saying exactly that. He's always a bit like Tyrone Mings. He's always got a ricket in him, yeah. as, as Harry Redknapp would say. Um, and that, Or he'll... If he gets into a battle with whoever he's up against, say Mane and him started going at it, he'll lose his head and mm -hmm. and bring him down for a penalty or be do something rash because he just hasn't got that composure. And I worry about that as as a 21, 22 year old defender. Fine, you're learning the game, but you know you've been in this Premier League now for four or five years. Yeah, you should be learning uh, and improving. Okay, uh, thank you very much to Mo and to Paul Jordan as well uh, for coming and joining us. Let's see what games of football happen. Eh, all the best.